Aging Matters is sponsored in part by the Aging Life Care Association, an organization of aging life care professionals. Aging life care professionals offer guidance, advocacy, and support for older adults and their families in order to maximize quality of life. An aging life care professional can be there for your loved one when you can't be. More information about the Aging Life Care Association is available at www.midatlanticalca.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Kinship care refers to the care of children by relatives or in some jurisdictions, close family friends, when their parents can't care for them. The number of children living with grandparents, other relatives, or close family friends has increased dramatically in the past two decades. Today, my guest is Michelle Sosa, Kinship Navigation and Outreach Coordinator with the Arlington County Department of Human Services. She's going to talk about kinship care, including situations requiring it, placement arrangements, and benefits and challenges of kinship caregiving. She'll also explain the rights and responsibilities of kinship caregivers and describe available community resources to assist them. So welcome, Michelle, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. Well, let's get started by you expanding on my definition of kinship care. I'm sure there's much more to it than what I said in my intro, but would like to hear from you. And I also wondered, because sometimes people have not heard of that term, kinship care, tell us if there's other terms also that are used for for this type of care. Well, Cheryl, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, you had a really good definition. Um, yes, yeah, so kinship care is care of children by relatives who are not able to be raised by their birth families or their birth parents. And typically what you see is um, other names, um, kin care, we say grand family sometimes, relative care, and then fictive kin or some other names. And I think that there might be a, a misunderstanding of say, a difference between kinship care and foster care. Can you explain the difference between these two concepts? Yes. So kinship care, like I said, is um, care by relatives or people known to the child. So it's typically informal or formal, whereas foster care is care for children who cannot live with their birth families, and they typically live with people who are not known to the child or to the family. And we often call that stranger care. Okay. And there's another term that I've heard sometimes, and that's guardianship. Is that also part of what we're going to be talking about today? So it could be. So in every jurisdiction or throughout the country, there's different definitions and legal terms um, for guardianship or custody. But in Virginia, we don't have that legal term of guardianship. In Virginia, we have custody. And so custody is another legal term where um, an adult assumes many of the same rights, duties, and responsibilities of a birth parent when they are caring for a child. Well, let's talk about the benefits of kinship care. I don't know how long you've been doing this, but I'm assuming a, a long time. What can you tell our listeners about the benefits of, of kinship care, and, and how does this concept then help our community? I love this question. So throughout um, history, there's always been kinship care. But in the child welfare profession, um, there was a time that we really put a value on foster families, especially when children were not able to live with their birth parents due to neglect or abuse. We really felt that children did better with um, strangers, people who are not known to the family, um, typically because you know foster families have more resources, they're richer. Um, and they actually do a lot to prepare to becoming a foster parent, so not taking anything away from that. But over the last few decades, we've been really shifting our practice paradigm to start valuing 
families more in the sense of trusting them and allowing them to make their own decisions. Um, and so what we found with kinship care is that it does increase the likelihood that children will be placed with their siblings. So a lot of times when children come into um, the child welfare system or foster care, they might be separated from their siblings. Research also shows that it minimizes trauma. It keeps children connected to their culture and their community. And research has shown that it decreases school and community disruptions. And so we ultimately believe that children do best in families, regardless if it's kinship or foster care. And ultimately, um, when children are safe and healthy, that benefits the community as a whole. And one thing that I was wondering about as I'm listening to you explain this, Michelle, is when there's a determination that kinship care is appropriate, what is the child's involvement in this? Uh, obviously, and we're going to talk a lot about who the caregivers are and what their rights and responsibilities are, but does the child, depending on, especially if they are an older child, uh, have any role uh, insofar as making the determination of, of what they want? Great question. So typically in child welfare, um, children don't have a lot of choices, which is could be seen as unfortunate, um, especially the little ones. When children reach a certain age, especially 15 and older, they do have more say in where they go, or we try to give, give them more input. Um, we usually see this more on the adoption side, um, especially when children are receiving foster care services. Once they turn 15, they can say, I want to be adopted. or I don't want to be adopted. But when it comes to their placement options, we try to work with youth to see, um, you know, if they have family members, ask them who their relatives are. But if they unfortunately have to be placed with strangers or in traditional foster care, um, they don't really have a choice, especially on the first night of coming in, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that's that's helpful. I was just wondering to what extent they have a say in terms of who's going to be caring for them. And to that point, I would imagine getting back to the, the caregivers, the kinship caregivers, I would imagine there's lots of challenges as well. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree. Um, Dr. Crumbly, who's a pioneer in this work of kinship care, discusses a lot of the challenges um, in kinship care, especially around family dynamics, um, the loyalty and guilt, tug and pull that often comes up. And he also talks a lot about the triad between parents, the child and the relative. Um, so as you can imagine, if you're a grandparent, you might have all these plans. You used to be the fun person. Bobby could come to your house at any time and eat ice cream, but now you're actually parenting Bobby and now you're the bad guy if there's any discipline issues or just the typical dynamics that happen between parents and children. Also for grandparents or older relatives, if they had this whole future planned out for their retirement, becoming a caregiver overnight has a, a huge impact on that. You may not be able to retire now or you may have to use your retirement savings to help raise this child. So there are, that are, um, that's some of the challenges. Um, we often see um, other financial challenges with kinship families, and they're changing rules and expectations, as I alluded to earlier. But yes, yeah, so even though kinship care is um, very beneficial for families, there are those challenges. And I was also wondering about the demographics of, of children who receive care from kinship caregivers around the country. Is there a variation? Are there different racial or ethnic groups where this might be more uh, prevalent than others? Kind of give us a, an overview of, of what you've seen uh, insofar as uh, kinship caregiving and, and where it happens and with whom. So nationwide, um, African-American children and children of color are overrepresented in the child welfare system as a whole. In Virginia, um, the African-American population is at 13%, whereas um, rep there's 24% of African-American children who are currently placed in foster care. Um, so as you can see, there's definitely that disparity. Right now in Virginia, 
Um, there's 340 children of both races, of all races, being raised by their kin caretakers. And I would say um, that there's roughly in Virginia over 1,600 um, grandparents or relatives raising um, children. As you interact with your peers, do you know if that's uh, prevalent throughout the country? Do you have any uh, sense about that? Yes. So that has been sort of standard um, for decades across the country, um, African-American children and children of color being overrepresented in the foster care system as a whole. Um, So we definitely see that across the board, Um, not to say that there's not there's no Caucasian children in foster care, but just based on the population that African-Americans and children of color represent, they, um, there's more numbers in foster care. Explain, what, what have you seen in terms of the situations that might result in a child needing kinship care? So unfortunately, there are situations um, that are emergencies where parents are either getting arrested or they're having a mental health emergency. They may be under the influence um, of substances and cannot provide a, um, safe care for their child or children. And in these situations, arrangements must be made very quickly and immediately. And so the department in um, our department in Arlington, we try to make every effort to ensure that children are not coming into foster care and that they're able to remain safely at home with their parents. Um, Because we do know that um, coming into foster care can be very traumatic and has lasting negative effects, if you will. Um, so we do try to provide supports and services. Um, we do an FPM, which is called a um, family partnership um, meeting. Um, and then we also pr- try to provide in-home prevention services to divert children from coming into foster care. But if foster care is unavoidable, it's typically due to neglect. Um, the parents, like I said, having mental health crisis, substance misuse, um, or physical and sexual abuse. And what we've noticed lately over the last two years, um, due to the COVID epidemic, um, a lot of families have been in sort of acute crisis mode. We're all fatigued. We're all over this COVID situation. Um, but due to the fact of like learning at home, being at home, working at home constantly, we've seen a lot of kids come into care due to physical abuse. I think just because parents have all of us are just sort of at our wits end, especially when it's coming to COVID and just sort of the trauma, the collective trauma that we're all experiencing. And that's so true of everybody in all kinds of situations. Yes. But uh, when it's children, it's it's particularly serious. And so explain what happens when a child is removed from his or her home? Is, is there, You mentioned a little bit about a, an assessment process, and I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the second half of the program, but what is the process then when it's evident for you and your colleagues that a child uh, should no longer remain in his or her home? What, what happens? So as I was stating previously, um, prior to a child or youth entering foster care, um, the department is working with the family to keep the family um, intact. Um, we start exploring relatives um, as backup options and even before it may be needed. So even before the child, um, it's definitely known that the child's going to come into foster care. But if the child does not, um, if the child does not have to enter foster care, we look at relatives who have already been identified. And we asked the family and the youth, if they're of age, um, who could um, step in, who could step in to support them. So we try to make every attempt um, that the child goes to someone they know. Um, But if a kinship caregiver is not available or is not an option, the child will join a traditional foster family. Given in this this search process that you uh, conduct, are there legal options? that are available for kinship care providers? I'm, I'm thinking that if someone did say that they were available, do you have to go through some kind of legal process as well? That's a really great question. So it depends. So if the family is able to come up with a plan, a concrete plan of safety and support, then there's no legal options, really. The family, the child can go to that family member. Um, in Virginia, like I said, we have custody which is really the only legal option for 
kin caregivers who the children come into foster care. So once the child comes into foster care, um, our court system can transfer custody from us to the kinship care provider. Well, and I was just wondering, given this kind of situation, would it be necessary, say, for a potential kinship care provider to have an attorney to represent them? You're talking about the court system. Who is representing whom insofar as the child, the, the family, if the, you know, if the parent is still around, and then this kinship care provider, it would seem to me that the legal process could be pretty complicated. Do you agree? Yes, and it is. It, um, the legal process is very complicated. Um, so if a child does formally come into foster care and we have custody of them, then the child is given a lawyer card of guardian ad litem, the parents are given a lawyer. Unfortunately, the kinship provider or the person who has been identified as a kinship provider does not have a lawyer, which is sad. But if they choose to file for custody, unfortunately, we do not pay for them to have a lawyer. But what I try to do as a kinship navigator is, is try to help them help walk them through the custody process. It's not very simple. But if we if they go to the court um, to file for custody, which they have the legal right to do, there is um, a liaison at the courthouse that will help them fill out the paperwork and and um, gather all the documents and information that is required. But yes, I do recommend them um, to get a lawyer to represent their interests because it can be very complex and there's a lot of hoops to jump through at times. As I was preparing these questions, I came across the term kinship guardian assistance program. Kin gap is that what what you're talking about, or is that something separate, even beyond what we've already discussed? Yes. So kin gap is not a legal option for kin providers. It is a financial option for um, for relatives. So when a child um, is in the custody of the department. It can provide ongoing financial support and case management services to the relative um, when they cannot return home to their families of origin or when adoption is not an option as well. So it's not a legal um, program, but it is a financial program and case management program for relatives. And do they apply for this or how, how do they even find out about the potential kinship care provider is somebody explained that this is available or, or and do they apply for it? Yes. So the kinship navigator and the child social worker will talk to a family about kin gap and their options, and we will help them apply for it when the time comes where they're eligible. They're, um, we are working, um, the state, we're trying to uh, make kin gap more accessible to more people. Um, when it initially came out a few years ago, it was very restrictive, but we're working on, or the state is working on trying to make it a little bit more accessible um, for relatives and easier to navigate because it's a little complex. Um, there has, the family has to meet a certain criteria in order to qualify for it. And I'm thinking maybe this type of program might be something that's in other states as well. Do you, do you know? Um, I'm not exactly sure if other states have kin gap per se, but I'm sure that they have other financial programs that can be beneficial to um, kin caregivers. I know in DC, Washington DC, they're doing and they've been doing and have been doing an excellent job with supporting um, kin caregivers. They even have guardianship. In their, in their jurisdiction. And I think also Maryland does as well. They have the legal term guardianship, and they are able to provide their kin caregivers with a little bit more support and financial resources there. Okay. And I, as I said, we might be talking a little bit more about that in the second half, but mm -hmm. a couple more questions that I wanted to ask in terms of placement. Um, I, I'm understanding that there are different types of kinship care arrangements and noted there's a formal placement as well as an informal placement. Can you explain the difference? Sure. So formal kinship arrangements are typically um, 
arrangements that require interventions with either the court system or the child welfare system. While informal kinship arrangements are made by the family without professional intervention. And so informal kinship um, is a type of kinship care that families have been doing for millennia. Grandparents helping out their their um, children, parents asking their relatives to step in when they're having a crisis and cannot care for their children. So a lot of families um, do this um, on a day-to-day without the intervention of um, the court or the child welfare system. Formal kinship arrangements, as I stated, usually are um, interventions with either the court or child welfare, but it's important to know that um, it's not either black or white, and usually these arrangements are, are done in a continuum. We have many families that are receiving in-home services or prevention services through our department who are kin families. For instance, right now we have a um, grandmother who has legal custody of her grandchild, and so this was done through the courts. However, her granddaughter is not in foster care. They're just, the family as a whole are receiving prevention services because there's some challenges in the family unit. So as you can see, even though she has legal custody, courts, her grandchild's not in foster care. So it's both. It's formal and informal. So it sounds like, based on the example that you just gave, that a kinship caregiver could become licensed as a formal kinship caregiver. Is is that true? And if so, is there a process to become licensed? Uh, what, what What do we need to know? Great question. So yes, kinship caregivers can become formal licensed caregivers if their um, loved one, the child, comes into foster care. And so what um, kinship caregivers need to do is that they would first come forward and say they would like to become um, a licensed kinship caregiver. And then I go out and I complete an initial kinship assessment. And so this is assessing their capacity, um, talking about what um, rights they have, um, also looking at the home, seeing if it's safe and there's no structural issues. After that assessment is completed, we do refer them to go to training. So all foster families, traditional or kinship families have to have a six week training. And so for our kinship providers, they go through traditions of caring training, which talks a lot about um, what kinship care is, talks a lot about trauma, um, about family dynamics and navigating the child welfare system. After that's completed, um, they do um, go through a home study or what we call a mutual family assessment where we interview them, we get to know them more. And then finally, they do background checks. So if everything comes back okay, the home study, no issues on their background checks, they're able to become licensed um, caregivers. So what you just described, would this kinship caregiver still only be caring for a relative or does becoming a licensed as a formal kinship caregiver allow them to be taking care of of children who are not necessarily their kin or their relatives? I love this question. Thank you for asking it. So yeah, so we've had some formal kinship caregivers become licensed and they adopt their foster, I'm sorry, they adopt their relative, but they continue to want to um, be foster parents. And if that's their choice, they can continue being foster parents and they can have other children join their family who are not related to them. So yes, it's definitely possible. So would they be called a kinship caregiver then, or would they be called a foster parent or both? Both, especially in um, Arlington County. I cannot speak for how other jurisdictions choose to run their program, but in our program, um, if a kinship foster parent or kinship caregiver um, wants to continue on fostering after they either adopt their um, relative, they can, and um, we consider them to be both. Okay. Well, that's very helpful, and we're going to learn more about rights and responsibilities and many other factors in the second half. But we're going to take a short break right now. And in case you tuned in late, 
We're talking with Michelle Sosa, who is the Kinship Navigation and Outreach Coordinator with the Arlington County Department of Human Services. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. talking about kinship caregivers today, and my guest is Michelle Sosa, who is the Kinship Navigation and Outreach Coordinator with Arlington County Department of Human Services. And before the break, Michelle told us about becoming licensed as a formal kinship caregiver, and I wanted to follow up a little bit on that, Michelle, and have you explain to our listeners, how can folks find out about that? Do you have a website? Is there a number to call? Is there a human being on the other end when they call? Yes. So we do have a website. Um, So if you're interested to learning more about what we do here in Arlington County, um, you can check out our website. Um, It's www.arlingtonva.us. Um, then you would go to Child and Family Services and Kinship Navigation Services. Also, you can contact um, our CPS hotline at 703-228-1500, or you can contact me directly. I love getting phone calls. So my direct line is 703-228-1557, and I'll mention it again. Okay. Well, and we'll we'll hear that uh, a little bit later and uh, in this program as well as at the end. But you were talking about becoming licensed as a formal kinship caregiver. But even if his one is not licensed in that way, are there certain rights and responsibilities that kinship caregivers have or they're expected to do or have? Explain what that process would be and what they, if someone suddenly found themselves in that situation, would need to know. So if a family comes um, and they're not formal, quote unquote, formal caregivers, um, and they do have custody of um, a child that does not belong to them, they um, do have the same rights as birth parents. So they do have, um, they will have legal custody, so they would have rights to make decisions for that child, enroll them in school, um, ensure that they're receiving medical um, treatment if they are an informal caregiver. Um, once, if they become a formal caregiver, if you will, um, they have the same rights um, as our traditional foster parents, um, which um is to be considered the primary caretaker and treated with dignity and respect. Um, We will treat them or they have the right to be treated as a vital part of the treatment team and be able to contribute input regarding the child's permanency plan. So that is if they are a formal um, caregiver um, and the responsibilities um, are the same on both sides. So providing a safe place, um, for the child to live, um, keeping the department informed of any changes um, that the child may have, um, school, medical. Um, They also have um, the responsibility of working as a member of the treatment team and ensuring that the child um, remains connected to their birth parents, either through visitation um, or phone calls. Um, So that is some of the responsibilities of a formal caregiver. Does the kinship caregiver, do they get any financial support? Is it provided by the county or the state or, or whatever entity they're working with? Uh, what, what would they need to know? If informal caregivers are taking care of relatives, they may be able to qualify for child-only TANF, which is Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, um, through their local Department of Social Services. And the amount that they would receive is based on where they live. Um, and then the child may be eligible for Medicaid um, 
which is um, medical insurance, or CHIP, which is the um, medical insurance for Virginia. Formal caregivers um, do receive monthly payments based on the child's age and their special needs, and we call that maintenance payments and um, a VMAP payment. So they, if they become formal licensed caregivers, they will receive uh, monthly financial support. So did you say that they can apply for this, this financial support? Yes, if they're informal. So if, if a family chooses to, if a relative chooses to apply for custody of that child and, and gets granted custody, they will not receive formal payments from the state. They would have to apply for child-only TANF, which is Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. So that is a federal government grant program that's allotted to states. And that's almost basically the only um, financial assistance that they could get if they filed for custody, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Because I, I was just wondering if they would have to indicate what their own financial situation was to qualify um, for this financial support. Yeah. So typically, if you are an informal caregiver, you may qualify. But even if you don't qualify, you can apply for child-only TANF. So that's basically the child is receiving TANF, not you or your entire your other family members, if that makes sense. Like if a person is low income and they are applying for TANF, the whole entire family has to qualify. But this is only the child qualifying for that. Okay. And what is TANF? TANF is Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. I didn't like the means testing part of it, but it is a federal program that is allotted to the states. Yeah, I was just trying to get at if, you know, if somebody is a grandparent and they have the means to do it, whether or not that would disqualify them for additional financial support to care for the child. No, it doesn't. So even if a family has the means, that is still an option for them. They can still apply for that if they want to. They don't have to. But if they, if a family is financially able to take on another child and care for that child, that's great. However, that program is still available to them. That's very helpful. Well, let's let's go on about what is a, a kinship assessment? Um, what What's involved? So the kinship assessment is a process um, where the department or me um, assesses the family to determine um, their eligibility, their ability and willingness to have um, a relative join their family. So it ensures child safety. It clarifies expectations of the department. Um, And the process is considered a mutual assessment because the family is also assessing to see if um, they want to go through the process. So it's a chance for um, the department and the family to get to know each other and just sort of work out those expectations. So this happens then prior to uh, the child actually coming into the home? Yes. So even before the child comes into the home, I will go out and meet with the family and talk to them briefly and explain the process. So typically who's involved is me and the family. Um, We do have a licensing team that license our um, traditional foster families and our kinship foster families. And I work in coordination with them. So just providing the family with the paperwork um, that they need. We do cover all the cost of background checks, um, including their FBI, their child, um, their CPS background check, and their DMV check. So we cover those costs. So we explain to them that they will need to have these certain things done and that we will pay for them. Um, we This process can vary from state to state. So I'm only speaking to how we do things in Arlington County, but um, standard across the board in order to become a licensed caregiver, um, a family, no matter where they live, they have to meet certain requirements. The other term that I had also noted was a kinship navigator. And when I introduced you, you're part of kinship navigation. So what does that term mean? And, and how do they help kinship caregivers? 
great question. So yes, I am a kinship navigator. So my role is to help families um, who are having trouble finding assistance for their unique needs. And so I help them navigate the child welfare system and what they need to do. So and that can look different in different jurisdictions. In Arlington County, we have two kinship navigators. Um, I am one of them, and I work more with families who are CPS services or in-home provision services. And my counterpart, Jasmine Dukes, she works um, more um, with families who've become formal caregivers. So those who've been licensed, those who are going through um, the adoption process, and she works a lot with licensing our um, kinship caregivers. So we do have two kinship provide, um, sorry, two kinship navigators. Um, we do provide seminars to our families, trainings and workshops, and we help our families a lot um, with education. So providing psychoeducation for staff and kinship caregivers, um, connecting them with resources such as TANF, which I mentioned, also explaining to them their rights when it comes to custody and helping walk them through that process. We also provide um, respite care for our kinship caregivers, our formal kinship formal kinship caregivers, but we are working on a program right now um, that we can get funding from the state to um, use respite funds for um, community members who are also taking care of children, caregivers. Um, also, we also provide um, support for child care, um, educational advocacy, um, we do do a lot of family finding. So when a child's either at risk of coming into foster care or they are in foster care, we're federally mandated to try to locate um, family members. And we do this by um, conducting um, a diligent search. So we use a system to try to locate um, family members for that child. And we, um, we're federally mandated to do this search annually until that child reaches their permanency goal. So either until they reunify with their birth parents or they're adopted. Um, we also provide FPM coordination, which is family partnership um, meetings. And this is when um, a child is either at risk of coming into foster care or when they um, are in foster care, the family comes together with professionals to try to come up with a concrete plan for the child either to not come into foster care or if they are already in foster care, um, come up with a plan for reunification. So that is mom, dad, and relatives coming together to come up with a concrete plan. And we also provide a monthly support group to our families. And I, um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later, but it's once a month um, on the second Tuesday of each month. And it's basically connecting kinship families um, from other jurisdictions together um, and helping them like form a network. But those are all the services that we provide in kinship navigation. And so if uh, a listener or listeners are hearing this, how would they get in touch with you or, or just in general in terms of finding a, a kinship navigator? Are they usually in the same location overall in different counties? Uh, what would they need to know? So Virginia has several kinship navigation programs in Northern Virginia, Arlington County, Alexandria City, Fairfax County, and Loudoun County, and Prince William County, we have joined together to offer kinship navigation services to the Northern Virginia region. But if you want to get in contact with Arlington County's kinship navigation program, you can contact our hotline. Um, again, the phone number is 703-228-1500, or you can contact me directly. Again, that number is 703-228-1557. Or you can go to our website to find out more information. Were you also mentioning a little bit earlier about caregiver support groups? Yes. Kind of what, what's the protocol at these meetings? Uh, uh, are there requirements that one has to have to join the group? Uh, what, what would you tell us? So the only requirement is that you are a kinship caregiver. So you can be in the community or you can be formal. We do offer our monthly support group 
um, on the second Tuesday of each month. And it is co-led by me and my counterpart, Jasmine Dukes. And we also have a wonderful kinship caregiver who adopted her grandson, who also co-facilitates these meetings. And she's been very, um, she's been amazing and promoting our program and trying to get other kinship caregivers involved um, to offer that support. And I'm just wondering, as I was listening to you, how do you as the kinship navigator or perhaps in these support groups, what if the relationship between, say, the kinship caregiver and the child is not working out, that is just isn't what everyone hoped it would be? Does the child have any rights then, or is it the kinship caregiver that... Um, what rights do they have and, and the other family members who may or may not be involved? What what would that process look like? Great question, Cheryl. Um, unfortunately, this sometimes happens where a kinship placement does not work out. Um, recently, we had a kinship placement disrupt um, due to the caregiver not really following through on the child's medical needs. Um, this was a baby. The d- department did make the decision to have the child um, join another um, foster family, not a kinship foster family, but a traditional foster family. And the rights that children have is to be protected and be in a safe environment. And although we do um, believe that children do best with their families, If a family is not able to meet the needs of the child, especially their safety needs, um, if we have custody of that child, we have to make the best decision for that child and ultimately is for that child to be safe. But yes, it does occur. It does happen. Not very often, but there are times when a formal kinship provider is not able to continue providing a safe environment for the child. And conversely, too, the child. The child is not happy being with this kinship caregiver and maybe acts out or maybe goes and commits a crime or something. I'm, I'm just trying to think of possible uh, situations where the kinship caregiver is very willing to care, but the child is just more than that person, especially if it's an older adult, might be able to handle. And I was wondering... Uh, if you're the kinship navigator, how do you or your colleagues handle situations like that? Yes, and those situations do come up. If a family is struggling or the child is struggling and the family needs support, we try, um, that's why we have a treatment team um, of professionals come together and try to make a decision. But there are some times when the child has either a lot of behavioral issues or mental health challenges and may need a higher level of care. That's not what we would like to do, but we don't want the placement to disrupt. We want the kinship caregiver to feel supported. So what we offer is um, just whatever supports is required. That could be in-home counseling. That could be putting in um, weekly or monthly respites to sort of, um, give the family a break um, so we can keep the child in the home and give them the supports they need. But ultimately, if all those things do not work out, the child may want, may need to leave the home, um, unfortunately. But we try to do whatever we can to ensure that um, it's the first and last placement and that the family has the supports and resources they need to be successful. And then I'm I'm thinking that there might necessarily, or not necessarily, be legal resources that a kinship caregiver can rely on with help of folks like you who are the kinship navigators. Uh, are there legal resources that are always available in these circumstances? Well, I'm not a lawyer, but typically if a family I'm working with needs legal assistance, um, I will refer them to contact the Legal Services of Northern Virginia a great organization. They provide um, either pro bono or low cost, um, depending on the family's financial situation, um, legal advice and services. Um, So if I'm working with a family um, and they need um, 
any legal assistance. For example, right now I'm working with the family. Um, same grandparent has custody of her grandchild, um, but she was in need of developing a will. Um, and since I'm not a lawyer, I don't have that background. Um, she was referred to um, Legal Services of Northern Virginia to help her come up with a plan and will for her granddaughter. I was also wondering, Michelle, about school enrollment and educational advocacy. Obviously, we're talking about children here who nine months out of the year should be in school, maybe 10, uh, depending on how many snow days they might have. But uh, how do kinship caregivers learn about what's required uh, in that area of school enrollment and education for these their, their children? Great question. So in Arlington County, um, if a relative needs to enroll um, their child in school or needs assistance with that, um, Arlington County Public Schools has an awesome um, kinship care hotline, and they can call, I, I can plug that number in, 703-228-8000. Um, we also work with um, Barbara Fisher, who's the homeless liaison in Arlington Public Schools. And she works one-on-one -on -one with families, and she often refers families who are in need of assistance or services to us. And we do the same if um, a child or a family is needing um assistance, especially if they're kinship caregivers, enrolling their child in school. So we work a lot with um, APS. And I'm thinking that in some cases, the child might be living in another state. Um, so there's a transfer of records and this kind of thing. So is that all a part of this process of uh, school enrollment? So that actually falls under a different um I wouldn't say program, but service called um, ICPC, which is the Interstate Compact of Placement for Children. So if a child needs or is going to um, live with a relative who lives in a different jurisdiction, which we've had um, done before in Arlington County, they first have to go through that process of ICPC. And then once that process is completed, then we transfer all um, over all of their records. So school records, medical records, mental health records, we transfer that over to um, the social service agency and the state that's um, go, um, working with us to do the ICPC process. I'm also wondering, you know, if you think about how this whole um, situation is certainly, or could be, traumatic for everybody. It's an adjustment mm -hmm. for the caregiver as well as the children. Are there mental health services that are also available for kinship caregivers and as well as the children that are re receiving uh, this kind of care? Are they entitled to these services? Are they available? What, what do you tell both the, the caregivers as well as the children that they're caring for? Great question. So yes, when children interface with the child welfare system, when families interface with the child welfare system, it is very traumatic. Um, all of the kids that we are currently serving um, or receiving services in foster care are eligible for mental health services through DHS. Um, and if they're not able to be seen by a clinician or a therapist in DHS, we do work with other providers in the community um, to help assist or to give them the, the services that they need. Typically, foster parents or kinship um, caregivers um, are not entitled per se to, to receive mental health services through our agency, but if they feel that they um, are in need of mental health services, um, we will have them linked to mental health services. So if they, we work a lot with um, CASE, they usually do a lot of work with adoptions, but they also do work with kinship care um, and kinship families. Um, we also have a program called um, BIZ, um, where um, two clinicians, they work with families in their home to sort of correct any behavioral challenges and help parents develop better coping and parenting skills. So that is a service that is available to um, kinship caregivers, regardless if they're formal or informal. And also, if a family is a kin caregiver family, 
they are eligible to come to our department to receive any services that they would like, mental health services. Um, we do have an excellent parenting um, skill development program that many families, regardless if they're informal or formal caregivers, are able to access um, Arlington County's uh, mental health and parenting programs. Okay, well, we are just about out of time. Can you give the best resources in terms of kinship caregiving? Yes. So to learn more about kinship caregivers, please, please, please check out our website um, at www.arlingtonva.us, Child Child and Family Services, um, Kinship Navigation. Also, some great resources to check out if you want to learn more about kinship care and um, families. Um, you can check out Child Welfare Gateway. Annie E. Casey Foundation has excellent resources and talks a lot about kinship care. Um, there's also the Child Welfare League of America. And also, please check out Dr. Crumbly's work um, and videos, which are on YouTube. All right. Well, I want to thank Michelle Sosa with the Arlington County Department of Human Services for joining me today. She is the Kinship Navigation and Outreach Coordinator. Now, if you want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all of the past Aging Matters radio and TV show uh, programs. And of course, you can also access our podcasts, which our radio programs are now posted on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is also produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. And that company, the website is inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs.